When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, a Hey Mary Kay edition, back at it, taking questions from our Football Insider subscribers. We talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, Deshaun Watson, Baker Mayfield. Uh, we play all the hits because there was a lot to get into with all three of those quarterbacks. And then we spend a little bit of time at the end of practice talking about Kevin Stefanski's training camps, what we think of them um, and the pacing, all of that. It, it was kind of an interesting discussion about uh, how he runs his camp compared to previous Browns coaches. So that's coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Our questions came from our Football Insider subscribers who went to cleveland.com slash Browns, clicked the blue banner at the top of the page, and they get that newsletter delivered to their inbox every day. They get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash Browns, and they are, of course, our text subscribers. So if you want to get on board, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get info, and get signed up. All right, here we go. A Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. And away we go on a Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Our Football Insider subscribers sent in some questions for us. We're going to get to a few of them here on a Tuesday podcast. We'll start with Glenn in the 919, Raleigh, North Carolina. And he's thinking about Jimmy Garoppolo. And he says, as of yesterday's postgame pod, all you Cleveland.com writers seem to be coming around to the fact that the Browns should try to get Jimmy Garoppolo. At the same time, you're not sure that the Browns should trade for him and assume that contract, which Glenn agrees with. So the best course of action might be to wait till he's released. Now, here's the question, Mary Kay. Uh, hey, Mary Kay. If Jimmy Garoppolo is released, what makes you think he will want to come to the Browns? It's highly unlikely he'd be ready for the first game or two. And I don't know. I don't know about that. But and he knows Watson will be back for the twelfth game. Do you think that he will feel there's better opportunities for him elsewhere? Well, in the event that he gets cut, he will probably have several different opportunities. And at that point, it will come down to opportunity and to money. When you look at the opportunity here, I actually do think uh, he would probably view this as one where he might get some playing time. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want to be sitting around on the bench all year. So I think that he probably feels like he might be able to come in here and get a chance, even if Jacoby Brissett stays healthy. Now, is that a pipe dream? I don't know. We don't know how Jacoby's going to play. We don't know how this is all going to shake out. But I think just from a, a talent standpoint, he might look at this as a situation where he's not going to back up Tom Brady, right? He's not going to back up Russell Wilson. He's backing up uh, Jacoby Brissett who uh, you know who, who was behind him uh, with the Patriots in 2016. So opportunity wise, that would be a reason to do that. Uh, from a financial standpoint, I think that he would probably be able to do some type of incentive laden contract where if you start a certain amount of games, you would be able to you know make up some more money. So I think there are ways to do it. It's just a matter of do the Browns, want to go out and do something like this. Now, also from an opportunity standpoint, Dan, is the fact that it's a very similar offense. We're talking about the Mike Shanahan, Gary Kubiak offense. 
in both situations, San Francisco, where Jimmy is now, and here in Cleveland, where Kevin Stefanski has taken much of what Gary Kubiak did and implemented it into his version of the West Coast scheme. So the schemes translate very well. Uh, the terminology probably translates really, really well. So I, you know, I think it's a little bit more plug and play than people might think it is. And yeah, I just think from a timing standpoint, he could probably catch up pretty quickly. I think the Browns should pursue him if he gets cut. I, I am adamant about that. I think they need to show that they are doing everything they can to win as many games as they can until Deshaun gets back. And the thing about Jimmy's side of it, when you look at, I mean, I'm just looking at, you know, the standings to look at teams that might could maybe show some level of interest in him that aren't settled at quarterback. Um, and there aren't a ton out there that, that kind of blow you away. I mean, like, you know, I, I don't think Detroit's looking, I don't, you know, but maybe that would be an option. Something you're talking about teams that aren't all that great. And with Jimmy, what's he kind of known for winning, right? That's like oh, Jimmy Garoppolo just wins for whatever reason. He just, he might not always play great. He might, but he just wins. And if he came to Cleveland and got an opportunity, he'd be steering a, a ship kind of similar to what they have in San Francisco, a good defense, a good run game, um, he can manage the game a little bit. He's, you know, the receivers, you're a little thin there after Amari Cooper, but you've got some, you've got some talent. He could come here and he could win and he could come here and win. And then he could go sign a contract to go win someplace else. Right. Because you know, you're not going to make him your long-term quarterback. It, it's kind of a win-win as far as a one-year rental for him. I said, win about 40 times in that. <laughs> but I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. And here's another thing to consider that most people don't even think about this part, Dan. And I've talked to people about Jimmy over the last couple of weeks and, um, he had his a torn capsule in his shoulder repaired in March, his throwing shoulder. He just became eligible to throw without restrictions a couple of weeks ago. So he can do that now. And I've been told that, you know, he wasn't really able to drive the ball very far down the field, like maybe over the last season. His throwing wasn't what he wanted it to be because he needed the surgery. Now he's gotten it taken care of. And in the same way that Baker Mayfield should be a better quarterback this year, now that he's gotten his torn labrum repaired, Jimmy Garoppolo should be a better thrower of the football this year. Now that he's gotten the torn capsule in his throwing shoulder repaired. So I'm told that, that he's looking better just in terms of uh, the ball coming out and the trajectory and all those kinds of things. So, you know, I think there's something there. And if nothing else, and we talked about this on our podcast yesterday too, if nothing else, you owe it to your fan base and to the players on your football team to show that you are at least pursuing or considering the best available quarterback out there who is, you know, on the trading block and you can find a way to get him. So another Jimmy Garoppolo question here. This comes uh, from the 316 area code, actually Billy in Kansas. Uh, Hey, Mary Kay, if the Browns bring in Jimmy G, isn't he an instant upgrade over Jacoby Brissett? Garoppolo's success on the field is beyond anything Brissett has done. So wouldn't he be the automatic starting quarterback over Brissett? Well, you know, it would seem that way when you just look at it from a number standpoint. Uh, but when the Browns watch the film at this point, they believe 
for what they're looking for, that Jacoby Brissett is better than Jimmy Garoppolo. That feels a little bit hard to believe, but that's how they have them stacked right now. Now, it might be because uh, because Jacoby Brissett has been here throughout the whole entire offseason program, and Kevin Stefanski puts a lot of value in the offseason program, in that offensive installation, in the timing that you develop, in the camaraderie that you develop. And you know, and I, do, I know, that these players love Jacoby Brissett. I mean, they just love him. And they don't know Jimmy Garoppolo right now. They don't have any allegiance to Jimmy Garoppolo. They have developed a camaraderie and a chemistry with Jacoby. And there is something to be said for that. And I also think it's important that he has started to develop a nice on-field rapport with Amari Cooper. Once he started jumping into those first team reps, he and Amari started looking really good together. And Amari likes the fact that Jacoby is a very smart quarterback. He's cerebral. He seems to really understand uh, what he wants from a receiver and how, how to articulate that. So there's a lot of intangible stuff going on right now. And, you know, everything would be new and different with, with Jimmy G. And, you know, who knows if they feel like that's a fit in that quarterback room and on that offense and all those kinds of things. But right now, I can honestly say that I believe that the Browns fully believe that Jacoby Brissett is a better starting option for them than Jimmy G. It doesn't mean, however, that you shouldn't bring in Jimmy G and have a really good one-two punch. I also think, too, there's there's an important note here that Kevin Stefanski told us today. He's kind of going into regular season mode a little bit. He's kind of using this week to simulate a regular season week. Um, next week is sort of a... It's sort of a thin week. They practice Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, I believe. And then players, I still think they're mandated to have off that Labor Day weekend. They come back Monday and we'll have a practice. There aren't a lot of practices is kind of what I'm getting at between now and the start of the regular season. And Kevin seems to want to kind of transition into regular season mode. So it means less, a little less competition on the field and practice. He did say they'll still do some of that. Um, but then once you get into the regular season mode, it's those reps go to the starter and that's mm-hmm. that. So there would be a little bit of, it, it's a little tougher to work Jimmy G in. it's not impossible, but it just might take a little more time because we're not, it's not July 31st. You don't have a month of training camp to kind of divide up these reps and let these guys really compete. Yeah, that is, that is so true. And there is just something to be said for all the work that these guys have put in together since April 19th when they showed up on the doorstep together and when they, you know, went to the Bahamas and, you know, they had a mini camp and they did all those things. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, um, you know, J.C. Treader might. Well, I don't think necessarily I think it had a lot more to do with eight eight point two million dollars. But let's just say <laughs> that Kevin Stefanski is really happy that he had an offseason program with his players. He loves the fact that his offense was here. And there is a lot to be said for the fact that Jimmy G doesn't have any of that with those guys. And like you said, there are not a lot of reps to be had. So they would be somehow having to work overtime with him uh, to get up to speed. Now, again, I think some of the learning curve uh, is, is, you know, cut in half because of what he already knows of this system. It's not like he's going to run the numbers system somewhere. I mean, this is Kubiak's West Coast offense that he is steeped in, well-versed in, and knows it as well as anybody. So I think he'd be okay from that standpoint. But will he, will he and Amari Cooper just hit it right off? I mean, you know, who knows? Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot to think about. There's a lot to consider, but I think just getting him here 
and having him here. And then you have your three quarterbacks until Deshaun Watson getting back as Jacoby Brissett, Jimmy G, and Joshua Dobbs. And I think that would be a very nice trio for them. And, you know, obviously, look, there is always a learning curve when you come into a team and a new offense. Like you said, this is a similar offense, so that's lessened. But, like, football is football at some at some level. Like, sometimes the language is different. Sometimes, you know, coaches use different playbooks and, and all of that. But kind of in the end, football is football. And if you've played a lot of it and you're competent, you can figure stuff out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and he's somebody that has, you know, he's been around a little bit. He spent all that time in new England. Then he had to go learn a whole new system uh, in, in San Francisco to a certain extent. And so, you know, he can pick things up. He's been around for a long time. The game is slow for him. I mean, it's like it is with a lot of these uh, journeyman quarterbacks that have been around, they can go plug themselves into a new system and it just doesn't take that long. Uh, so I, I think he would be okay from then, that standpoint. Having said all of that, if they don't end up with a Jimmy G and I, I actually think it is kind of unlikely um, because of some of those intangibles that we've been talking about, they will look for another veteran quarterback to shake out in these cuts. A lot of teams do not keep three quarterbacks and there's going to be an experienced quarterback, a veteran that somehow lands on the street and is looking for a job. And if it's not Jimmy G, I do think that there is a decent chance that they will bring someone else in and, and I think they should. I don't think they should leave it to uh, just Jacoby Brissett and Joshua Dobbs for the for the first 11 weeks. I think it's risky. Now, that's not to say that Joshua Dobbs hasn't had a really nice training camp and two really good games. He's shown a lot of really good things. He's a dual threat quarterback. Uh he he's a good game manager. He can overcome adversity on the field. He's got an above average arm, but still, you know, he was designed to be a third string quarterback this year, not a backup, not your next man up one play away guy trying to get a Super Bowl caliber roster to the playoffs. So I still think that if they don't get Jimmy G, that they need to really look long at hard and hard for another bona fide number two to come in here and serve as that one two punch with Jacoby. Yeah, I mean look, there's there's a world where Josh Dobbs is a really good backup in this league for 10 years. And mm-hmm. maybe, you know, a year from now or two years from now, we're having this discussion about, oh, should somebody go get Josh Dobbs to be their backup or whatever? It's just we haven't seen it. And that's an awfully big risk to take with as ready as this roster is to win. If this were like the 2017 Browns, yeah, sure, make Josh Dobbs your backup. But this team's trying to win, and they want to be in a position to, to try and go win a Super Bowl when Deshaun Watson comes back this year. Absolutely. And and you know what else, Dan, that I really feel about this? The Browns have asked their fan base to go along with them on a very controversial and difficult journey right now. It's really hard. Uh, it strains credulity to think that Deshaun Watson didn't do anything wrong, right? But Browns fans are sort of asked to say, hey, stick with us. We think he's going to be a productive member of the community and of the team and of society. And we want you to stick with us and to even climb back on board if you have left us. Okay, so that's what they're asking of this fan base right now. And I think they need to give a little. I think they need to give back a little bit to uh, a weary fan base that's been through a lot over the last how many ever years. 
especially now. Uh, so therefore, you know, at least from an optic standpoint, you have to show that you are doing everything in your power to make sure that when Deshaun Watson comes back on December 4th, if he comes back on December 4th, and we need to talk about that on this pod too, <laughs> um, but you need to show that that you're giving it your all. You have to show that you're giving it your all. I actually think it would be a morale boost if they brought in Jimmy G for the community and for the fan base. What say you, Dan? Yeah, I mean, anything to, to kind of show fans like this team's going to win games before Deshaun comes back. And people are going to talk themselves into Jacoby and, you know, because look, he's going to be out there. Maybe he plays really well on Saturday night. I mean, he should, it's still a preseason game. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course the Browns are going to be pushing out Jacoby content and and trying to make sure that people are all in on Jacoby and maybe Jacoby's fine. Maybe that he does get this team to six and five or seven and four that that could absolutely happen. But I think when you do take that realistic look, Bringing in a guy like Jimmy G says to fans, "Hey, we're serious. We think we can. We think we can win this year. We think we can win when Deshaun Watson comes back and win big. So here's this guy that's sort of it's going to excite you and get you ready to go. We're showing you, kind of like you've been saying, we're showing you that we're serious about this and we're not just going to throw this year away. Because I do think there are fans out there who kind of look at it and wonder if this is just going to end up as another lost season." Yeah, and and they don't deserve that. They don't deserve that. Cleveland Browns fans have stuck by this team through thick and thin. And now there are a lot of them that are unhappy with this acquisition and unhappy with this decision. So I think you have to make some decisions with the fan base in mind. Now, you can't rely on the fan base to, uh, you know, to help you really necessarily make roster decisions. We all know how that goes, right? Fans fall in love with certain players that, you know, for one reason or another, um, you know, don't even end up in the NFL. So, uh, you know, you can't make decisions based on that. But I do think just from the standpoint of making sure that your fans are excited about the season and and feeling that there's hope they need to feel hopeful they need to feel hopeful this season and i do believe that the browns think we're going to show you that you can have that hope because of jacoby Brissett, and that's fine that's fine because they feel that he's better with this roster than he's ever been anywhere else he's been and maybe that will prove to be true but you got to you've got to do something else you've got to be to do something else to pick up the spirits of a fan base that is really struggling right now well, you know, the other thing, too, if the Browns do struggle with Jacoby and their record ends up just sort of being middle of the pack, there's kind of a double punch for the fan base because you traded those three first round picks thinking those things are going to be like in the late 20s. Hopefully one or two of them is like the 32nd pick in the draft. That's why you trade for Deshaun Watson. So you're willing to give up those picks because. Once you get into the 20s, it really does become more and more of a crapshoot in the draft. Mm -hmm. If that pick is like 14th, that's like that's kind of a a gut punch again. So now you have this disappointing season and now you've got to watch Houston make this kind of pretty decent draft pick that should have been yours. And it's just sort of a a double gut punch to Browns fans. So you got to do everything you can to win now. And it's got to start now. The, The Deshaun Watson suspension shouldn't be an excuse. No, it it cannot be an excuse because you do have a a roster built to go the distance. 
And one position on the team, even though it is the most important position on the team, should not break you. It shouldn't break you. We have seen other teams make the playoffs when you don't have an ideal optimal quarterback situation. We only have to look to the Pittsburgh Steelers from last season to see that they made the playoffs. They went nine, seven, and one, and they made the playoffs with that record with a quarterback who was struggling because of the strength of the rest of the team. And of course, because of a bunch of injuries on the part of the Ravens and the Ravens just weren't the team uh, that they expected to be. And the Browns weren't the team that they expected to be either. So that helped a lot. You have to have a lot of things going your way to pull this off sometimes, but you can win football games in the NFL with a really, really good defense, which the Browns have and a really good running game and skill position, good skill position players at other spots like receiver and tight end. So they've got enough to win, um, but and and they cannot let they cannot let this quarterback situation derail the season and take them out of playoff contention. Okay, my ears perked up a few minutes ago, so I'm going to take this next one. Hey, Mary Kay, will Deshaun Watson play on December fourth? That's a really good question, Dan. <laughs> I thought of it all uh, by myself. <laughs> So, yeah, this this is an important thing to note. I have talked about this. I've tweeted about it a little bit. I've talked about it. I've written a little bit about it. But uh, the whole key for Deshaun Watson to get back, back on the field December 4th is this isn't just some situation where he's got to, you know, show up for an appointment here and there. No, he's got to be fully committed to a treatment plan. And that treatment plan can be anything, okay? It's an independent third-party provider that will tell him exactly what he has to do. These are the experts. And he's got to follow that plan. And I just don't think, and I, I, I've been talking a lot about this, so I just don't think the um, full, fully committing to the plan would involve the denial that he's still in right now, okay? So he's got to get past that. He's got to get over that hurdle of thinking that he has done nothing wrong. And if that doesn't happen, then, you know, they might be going back to square one a little bit here. So this is just, it's just something that um, I don't think uh, necessarily it's, you know, it's people really fully grasp that whole situation. Um, but, but that, that's what it is. I mean, he, he's got to show not just that he showed up at 12 PM for his appointment, but that while he was in the appointment, that he's making the kind of progress and complying with the program the way they need him to. Yeah, I think it's, you know, again, there was a feeling a little bit of closure, right? When that 11 games came down, I think for everyone, it was like, okay, this is, it, we can kind of turn the page. But it is important to remember this isn't over. You know, he's going to be away from the team. It's going to be very limited, the contact he can have. I don't think coaches or anyone you know, like that can have any contact with him at all. Um, I'm sure his teammates can, but he's, he's gonna, he's not going to be in the facility for a long time. Like, like you mentioned, he's got to stick with this program. He's got still got one civil trial coming up next off season. Now, maybe that does end up getting settled, but anybody that read that piece in the daily beast uh, last week, and, and you put up a post about it, it sure doesn't sound like, like she's eager to to settle anytime soon. So that's still outstanding. Um, and so this just, it's not quite over. And then if he decides, I mean, you asked him to see, is he ever going to tell his side of the story? And he seemed to indicate that he would like to, well, you know, what if, 
out of nowhere, when he's finally eligible, he sits down with ESPN and decides to tell his story and it doesn't come off great. Like, I, you know, there's there's some variables out there, I guess, is the point. And, and so this thing isn't completely over. No, it's not completely over. Uh, there's a long way until December 4th, right? There's a long, long way. And uh, I also asked Deshaun, do you know if there will be any more accusations? Now, I think if anything happened previously, I, I don't think that they're going to look at this as, you know, new indiscretions, new misconduct. I think it will kind of be, I would think, be lumped together with what's gone on so far. The one thing that could possibly change that is if he gets a criminal indictment. And I don't know if anything like that could possibly happen. It doesn't seem like it, but you just never really know. So I think, um, you know, I think everybody just needs to kind of be in a little bit of wait and see mode, but Deshaun is going to have to do the work. And I didn't think he struck the right note in his press conference. I thought I stand by my innocence. I stand by my innocence. I stand by my innocence uh, was too much of that and not enough of I'm going to do every single thing I possibly can to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again, that I, you know, whatever the case may be. I mean, he can, he, I think he could have somehow still said, I still feel like I have done nothing wrong, but obviously there are 30 women that believe that I did do something wrong. And so there, I have to find where the disconnect is and I have to figure out what happened in those rooms that did go wrong and why do I think that it wasn't wrong and they do I mean something you know what I mean there there had to be something other than I have done nothing wrong and because like I asked him how are you going to get anything out of counseling if you don't think you did anything wrong and I, I just think that is vitally important to note that like you can't get well and change your behavior if you don't think there's a problem so these are all the hurdles that need to be crossed. Yeah, it's uh, it's still a very, very complicated situation. Even mm-hmm. though it seems like the disciplinary portion of it is is mostly over. Um, I think we'll probably talk about this more. So let's take a break. And then we're going to talk about the quarterback that the Browns are still paying to not play for them. Baker Mayfield, who will start week one against uh, against the Browns on the other side. And back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, we're recording this on Monday. And of course, today, uh, what everyone expected became official. Baker Mayfield will start week one against the Cleveland Browns. We got a couple questions about Baker. We'll start with Kevin in Loveland, Colorado. Hey, Mary Kay, we know that Baker has had this one marked on his calendar for a while. But who on the Browns do you think is looking forward to this one? That is such a good question, right? I mean, that is a really good question. And our um, subtext subscribers always come through with the best questions for us. And we really appreciate that. We've got uh, such savvy fans that just they know this team. uh, And these are the kinds of questions that we really like to answer. Um, So I've actually been thinking about this. I look back to last season and I think that there were a number of players, especially on defense, that were dismayed about some of the events of 2021. I think that they were not happy with 
the the departure of Odell Beckham Jr. and the way that went down. They were very close to Odell. There are a lot of guys on this team that were very close to Odell Beckham Jr. And a lot of those guys were on the defensive side of the ball. Guys like, you know, Grant Delpit. I mean, I mean, he just, he was quite the leader on this team. He's an icon in football. And there were a lot of guys that followed him. I think I would have to think that, you know, that Miles and Jadavian did not appreciate some of that. Miles was pretty vocal about the fact that he did not feel that Odell Beckham Jr. should be gone and that they were not consulted about that. And I think that they might be able to use that as bullet their own bulletin board material to get themselves a little bit worked up for going against Baker Mayfield. Because I don't think that, you know, I think there were some hard feelings in the second half of the season when Odell was gone. And so I, I'm going to say a lot of guys on defense are going to be looking forward to getting after it. And if you think Kevin Stefanski isn't going to be using this stuff, I mean, he he played it cool today. He acted like he wasn't aware that Baker had officially been named the starter and that they were going to worry about Carolina when it's Carolina week. But if you think Kevin Stefanski isn't behind those doors, starting to use some of this stuff and starting to, to pump these guys up and get going. I, I mean, I think it was really telling the way this team played after Odell was released. Um, or when it was announced that Odell was going to be released. Because like you said, a lot of these guys liked Odell. It did feel like a lot of these guys, publicly even, didn't agree with the decision to release Odell. And yet somehow this team comes out and plays the best game it played all year. So Kevin knows how to push the buttons, I think. And go back to that Pittsburgh playoff game. He knows how to push these guys' buttons and and get them going and, and use some of that bulletin board material. And I think he's even admitted, like, kind of slyly, like, He's not afraid to use it. You know, he doesn't go into great detail, obviously. So, yeah, I think uh, I think this is going to be a very big topic of discussion. Maybe not when they're standing at the podiums with microphones in front of them, but I bet when those doors close and we're not there, I, I feel like Baker is going to be a very big topic for this football team. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, uh, on the other side of the ball, I think it might be a little difficult for those guys to work themselves up into a lather about Baker Mayfield because he had a lot of friends on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and he's, he still does. I mean, we, when we talk to those guys uh, you know, they always say Baker's my guy. I mean, Nick Chubb has said it. Kareem Hunt has said it. Wyatt Teller has said it. Joel Batonio. So I think there are a lot of guys on the offensive side of the ball uh, that, that stuck by Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, even through the rough times. So I don't think they'll have it, you know, they won't be as out to get him as, as the defensive guys will, but I think the defensive guys will be able to get themselves. I think they'll be able to get their game faces on. I really do. Okay. This, uh, another Baker question here from Tom in Danbury, Connecticut. Uh, of course, a lot of people will talk about how Baker Mayfield knows this defense well, but Tom says, Hey, Mary Kay, since the Browns defense has watched Mayfield for the past few seasons, will this give them an advantage in the matchup? I think so. They know exactly what he can and can't do. And if this defense is smart and it is a smart defense and Joe Woods is incredibly smart. I just have, I mean, I, I really think so highly of, of Joe Woods and I have ever since the, when he showed up on this doorstep. And I, I really hope that he gets the credit this year that he deserves for being as, as good as he is. Because when I look back to last year, he was holding some spots together with smoke and mirrors. And I thought he did a terrific job, uh, but this defense, they know, and this and Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt, they know where Baker Mayfield's skeletons are buried. They know what he cannot do. They know you've got to hem him into the pocket. 
They know that. I mean, one of the things that you could do is flip on the tape from the Pittsburgh Steelers game last season, which was Baker Mayfield's last game in a Browns uniform. And, you know, they sacked him nine times and batted down five passes. So if you can kind of hem him in and and get him trying to, to look over his offensive lineman and survey the field that way, you can get to him. You can, you can get to the football and uh, you know, and I just think that they, they know him. And I think also if you commit a defender to him on the keepers and the boots, I think that's a really good way to defend him because when he gets out in space and he can see that's when he's at his best. And he can also throw well on the run. So when he goes out, go with him, commit a defender to him and do not let him operate out in space. Well, and this is where having those really athletic ends helps. I mean, we've seen miles chase down Lamar Jackson. We've seen him chase down Deshaun Watson. We've seen him chase down some of the most athletic quarterbacks in the game today. So he's going to be able to chase down Baker Mayfield if he gets out of the pocket. And I'm glad you brought up that Pittsburgh game. Cause I was going to do the same thing. Um, I wrote about Alex Wright today and I, kind of looked into you know we know miles garrett is big and has long arms and jadavion Clowney is big and has long arms and guess what alex wright is big and has long arms and he they list him at six five and mm-hmm. he looks bigger than six five to me um so these guys are gonna put their hands up they're gonna make it really difficult for baker to see and i think for all the talk of baker is going to be fired up and have a chip on his shoulder and throw for 350 and four touchdowns I think this defensive line, now I'm worried about the interior, but I think these edge rushers are, are just going to be too much for him. I, I think that's going to be what what prevents him from sort of having that sort of Baker Mayfield revenge game. Yeah, and you know who else? Think about this, Dan. JOK is like right. the perfect player uh, to try to defend against some of those keepers in the, in the keeper game. And when I say that, I'm talking about the rollouts and the bootlegs and those kinds of things. Um so you could commit a JOK to to even doing something like that and and you know to to come up and to to also to get to blitz to get his hand there's so many things that you could do with JOK to try to mess up Baker Mayfield so there's a lot that they can do that way um and also in games like this these days in the pros i feel like when he gets too hyped up he sails the ball okay he loses his mechanics and he loses his accuracy and he starts sailing the ball. He gets too hyped when he gets in the red zone. I mean, he's just throwing bullets. Okay. There's times when you have to stay calm and you have to take a little bit off the ball. Okay. And he doesn't do that. I mean, he, I mean, he'll just like, you know, it's like it's shot out of a cannon from 20 yards and then you can't catch it. You know what I mean? Like, so these are some of the things that we have seen ourselves And these are certainly some of the things the Browns are going to be trying to take advantage of. Okay. There's one more question here that I want to get to. I thought it was interesting um, that has nothing to do with Baker Mayfield or Deshaun Watson. This comes from uh, Mike Zavarella in Frisco, Texas. Hey, Mary Kay, what is your take on the intensity of Kevin Stefanski's training camps through two preseason games? He's seeing some softness against the run, poor tackling, and lots of unforced mental errors. Couple that with players missing time with injuries, and he doesn't see a huge benefit to the lack of conduct, contact and conditioning. Um, I have a counterpoint to what he's saying, uh, but I'm curious what your take is uh, about Mike's thoughts on Kevin Stefanski's training camps. 
Well, I think Kevin Stefanski's training camps are, they are efficient. They're very efficient. They're not super high intensity. There's, you don't hear a lot of pads crunching. You don't hear a lot, you know, you don't see a lot of guys, you know, you don't, there's not a lot of live tackling. There's not sirens going off and all these live periods and things that we've seen before. It's not a super high contact tact camp, but it is very efficient it's very game specific and situational. And I think that's good. I mean, that Bill Belichick was always like that. I mean, you have smart players who know what to do in, in real game situations because they've practiced it over and over and they've repped it and they do a lot of walkthroughs. They do a lot of walkthroughs. So there's a lot of mental work going on sometimes more so than the physical work. And that's why I think they, you know, they don't get, overly freaked out if a guy misses some time in training camp like Denzel missed a bunch of time and a number of guys have Greg Newsom's missing a lot of time right now because they're still doing all the mental work and they're very big on that they're they're a cerebral football team so that's how I view his camp and um and I'm I'm okay with it I'm okay with that because I don't think you need to get beat up in July I, I just don't think it's necessary I agree. And we, I mean, we watched Freddie Kitchens training camps where it was two and a half hours and pads every day, screaming at officials and just, I mean, I mean, it was ridiculous. It was bad. It was really bad. Like we yes. could, you could see the disaster starting to build. Uh, but I, you know, I've stood next to Lance who does our, our film during practice and he agrees with the efficiency thing. It just feels like there's no wasted time in Kevin's practices. So it might you might only be out there for 90 minutes, but it's 90 really efficient. Like we know exactly what we're trying to get done. There's there's no wasted time. I don't ever watch a practice and think, oh, they're wasting their time on something here. And like I said, I had a couple counterpoints and I would just look at the start of each season. Now, obviously, in 2020, they got blown out by Baltimore in week one, but they started four and one that season. And then in 2021, they went to Kansas City and they played with the Chiefs. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were right there in that football game and should have won that football game. And they started three and one last year. So there's just nothing that I've seen on the field that tells me this team isn't ready to play. And I think, like I said, that Baltimore game in 2020, it was Kevin's first game. And it was just weird. It was just a weird, like a weird series of circumstances. And then they turned around and won their next game four days later and mm-hmm. got off to a really good start. So I just haven't seen anything that says to me this team isn't ready to play w- when the season starts. Yeah, and fortunately for them, they have a pretty darn easy first four games to the season this year. So they'll be ready. They're going to be ready to play. I mean, it's not like they're coming out of the gate with the Bills and the Bucks and the Ravens, right? I mean, they've got sort of a soft entree into the season a little bit. They should be able to beat the Carolina Panthers. They should be able to beat the Jets. Not so sure about the Steelers because we all know that uh, the Steelers are going to be tough this year. They're once again, one of those football teams that is so well coached and so solid everywhere else that their quarterback doesn't have to be spectacular to play winning football. They also have the reigning NFL defensive player of the year. And there's a lot to be said for that. They're going to be, they're going to play good, sound, aggressive, quality defense this year. So you cannot take that game for granted by any stretch of the imagination. And then the Falcons, you know, they should win that one. Um, so I, I think that, you know, the, the schedule makers 
didn't try to do them a favor, but they really did do them a favor. Uh, but just in terms of being ready, I think they'll especially be ready for those first four games. Yeah, I think so too. All right. Those are our, uh, we got a bunch of questions as always. And as always, we can't get to all of them. Or we, we'd be sitting here for four hours answering questions. Our football insider subscribers always give us all sorts of good things to uh, to talk about. If you're not a football insider subscriber, I tell you all the time, go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page, get info and get signed up. And of course, make sure you're subscribed to our podcast on Apple's podcast. Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I actually put up a bonus pod um, just for the the folks who are subscribed. Um, it was I did a little quick interview with Alex. Right, like I said, I wrote about him today, and I just put up that interview. It was like a five minute podcast. So if you want to check that out, go hit those feeds, and uh, maybe we'll do a little more of that for the folks that subscribe to our podcasts. Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later. Sounds great.